0: Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.
2: Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. Still plugging away in lockdown, despite overwhelming popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield. Uh, and joining me once again, uh, the man giving me an enthusiastic thumbs up over the video chat, it's Tony Kerr. Hey, you right? How's it going, Tony?
0: Yeah, good thanks. As you say, plugging on. Nothing too exuberant at the moment.
2: Well, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I am feeling quite exuberant, I'm uh, I'm in the enthusiastic, tone. It's, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, it's a beautiful day out there, great day for podcasting, you might say. Uh, so yeah, I'm raring to go, I've, I've already been out for a walk this morning, went to the park with my son, came back, had a cup of tea and some crumpets, uh, and now I'm ready to podcast. Yeah, you've done well. You seem you seem slightly uh, tired this morning, a bit sleepy.
0: I, well, I, yeah, when I suggested doing the pod at... Um... Yeah, probably at ten on a Sunday morning. It seemed a great idea at the time. I'm a little bit jaded from yesterday, but not, you know, not too bad.
2: I've been up for I've been up for like four or five hours, Tane. uh I've been, you know, I'm all kind of uh, got a spring in my step. You know, I'm well into the day now. Whereas it does it does
0: appear as though you might have just rolled out of bed to do this. Yeah, slightly. Well, I'm in I'm in good spirits though. Obviously, um, <laughs> well, you know, in Guernsey, we are where we are. The, the lockdown restrictions have been eased slightly, haven't they, over the last couple of weeks. Particularly, there was a, a sort of moment, a cause for celebration this weekend with the uh, the news that takeaways would be allowed to reopen. So I had to taste that last night. No, well, it didn't have a takeaway, but just tasted the idea of being able to get one. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, all good, though.
2: Well, actually, I, I saw you last night. We were on a, a Zoom chat every Saturday night. We've been doing a quiz actually want to talk more about that later in the show, uh, about when you hosted the quiz. But um, but yeah, although last night's one, it was a really, really good quiz that our friend Nick put together. And then at the end, at like the second he finished giving the answers, we were, you know, we were sort of totting up our scores. And you and Emily, your girlfriend, were like, right, guys, we've got to go. I'm afraid have got to go. I'll text you our score, Nick. But we've got to go. Got to go. Absolutely got to go. And we were like, Wait, that was really abrupt. Why did they leave so quickly? And then it became it became apparent it was because you'd come uh, <laughs> dead last.
0: Yeah. There was about 10 questions about the, the band Dream Theater which uh, very much not my specialist subject.
2: All right, well, we should probably uh, talk about some cricket. We have got lots to talk about because there's actually been some some cricket news that we should discuss a little bit of movement uh, in the cricketing world this week. I don't think they're calling it project restart like they are in the in the Premier League but you know that type of thing. England players returning to training uh, plans to go ahead with the West Indies series in July so we'll talk about that later on and we've got some uh, correspondence from from listeners to dig into as well uh, but first we're going to do a movie review this is like a sort of crossover episode isn't it it's a bit like when yeah. family guy met the simpsons uh, it's you know it's it's the world cricket show meets the little film podcast uh, because we're going to review the sports documentary that the whole world is talking about at the moment, uh, Fire in Babylon, a movie that came out <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> the documentary by Stephen Riley charting the rise and dominance of that great West Indies team under Clive Lloyd in the late 70s and 80s. Now, yeah, obviously, we joke about that. You know, it did come out 10 years ago. Uh, so uh, it's not necessarily uh the, you know maybe not quite as topical as say the last dance um but we wanted to talk about this now for a couple of reasons one because tony's never seen it and that feels like a bit of an omission well i have seen that. it now and two because uh, we've been talking on the last few episodes of show about the great australian team under steve war and ricky punting you know we talked about the 2005 ashes we talked about that 2001 series in india and you know, a lot of people would say that that's the greatest team of all time. We might have even said that. The the, the team that would uh, that would probably raise the the biggest objection to that. The other the other sort of obvious candidate for greatest team of all time is uh, is that West Indies side uh, of the 1980s. So yeah, the film um, it's really just sort of chronicling the rise of that team, the the transformation of the West Indies from you know what were what were sort of always described as Calypso cricketers. You know, very entertaining, but not necessarily uh, very successful. So the transformation from that to become the best team in the world to become this kind of ruthlessly dominant uh, machine—it starts with their capitulation in Australia in in 1975-76, where they get completely taken apart by Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson, and how that experience convinced Clive Lloyd of, of the need to to cultivate uh, fast bowlers of their own. And it's just kind of interviews with the players. It's interviews with people like. Gordon Greenwich uh, and Michael Holding, and Viv Richards, and Colin Croft, um, and lots more. Yeah, and they and they remember the team's victory in England in in uh, in the long hot summer of 1976, which of course is famous for that uh, that grovel comment by England captain Tony Gregg. Uh, and then World Series cricket, and then their you know just their dominance of the world after that. And the film ends with the Blackwash series. In England in 1984 and as Michael Holding points out at the very end of the film uh, between 1980 and 1995 the West Indies did not lose a single test series not one Uh, and so yeah this film is sort of uh, yeah sort of charting the the rise of that team so uh, Tone I mentioned that you'd never seen this before but as you were keen to point out you have seen it now (laughs) <laughs> you uh, out. you watched it the other night well you are always you seem to be increasingly keen to sort of prove that you've done the homework
0: yeah for the show. you were much. never that
2: keen to do in the past perhaps because you hadn't
0: uh yeah no, i enjoyed it it's uh it's a yeah it's a very very good summary of that team and summary of that uh that era isn't it um yeah very well put together obviously like you know the inputs from the the, the, the great players they're all sort of 2 man legends aren't they so uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of breathing room to hear from um, from all those guys, which is great. I, the, my only thing was, I would have liked to see more of the action. I don't know, it's, it's not a very long film, is it? It's about 80 minutes. Um, and whether that's just a rights thing, maybe they didn't have the budget to to pay for, you know, more clips or whatever. Um, and maybe it's slightly, you know, kind of spoiled in a way by the test recently, just in terms of like, you know you could have seen more you know if there was more footage available, or even just you know more remembrance of certain matches or certain kind of performances or whatever um but otherwise yeah it's brilliant and it's it like you know cool to hear from you know from some of the you know other kind of cricket or big cricket fans or whatever in the west indies you know it's, it's one of the whalers in there you know some groundsmen and stuff which it's really cool you get a yeah you get a good flavor of things yeah i know what you mean there's there's
2: uh there's not necessarily quite as much footage as you might expect but then i'd wonder if part of it is just that, that there's not i mean obviously the footage does exist but the footage isn't always that great you know that just the the coverage of cricket in the 1970s and 1980s was just you know was nothing like it is now um even down to you know there was only effectively one camera there or you know uh, they, they didn't have a camera at each end and so you see a lot of the action sort of from behind the wicket keeper and slips and I, I sometimes wonder if that, you know, if that actually does contribute to the kind of uh, recency bias thing that we've talked about a lot on the show. You know, when when people are talking about, well, what's the greatest Test innings of all time? It seems to be between Ben Stokes, Coussy, Pereira, and a couple of others that happened in the last 15 or 20 years. And people aren't thinking about Gordon Greenwich in uh, in 1984 or Viv Richards' innings, or 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 you know, obviously going further back than that into the 50s and 60s. I mean, you know, obviously the further back you go. The, you know, there there wasn't television at all. But even when there was in the 70s and 80s, just the 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 footage that exists of those innings, just if it exists at all, just isn't as good. Mm-hmm. It's actually harder to see what's happening uh, than it is with the recent stuff. And that, I mean, uh, and that applies to me as much as as anybody. You know, I I don't immediately think, or, or certainly before uh, watching or rewatching this film as I've done uh, in the last week, I wouldn't immediately think of Viv Richards in the same breath necessarily as say Lara and Tendulkar partly because you know it was before my time but also because I haven't even really seen that much of him bat in the way that young you know the kids now who didn't grow up with Lara and Tendulkar will be able to watch hours and hours and hours of their greatest innings.
0: yeah no I think that's a good point and you know I spoke to a couple of uh well certainly my girlfriend's dad who is a big cricket fan and yeah, grew up kind of watching those guys and uh, you know I said he hadn't seen the film I said oh, you yeah, know you should definitely watch it and we sort of talked a bit about some of the names he was he basically said like oh you know sort of gets shivers just thinking about some of those guys and you know, yeah Greenwich and Viv Richards and stuff um and just just the impact they had and I think for a certain generation definitely obviously uh, you know a couple of generations before us they'll never be topped but, yeah having mentioned having mentioned the test and uh, before one thing that was quite quite nice having you know sort of slightly warmed the australians during the during the test uh the series um on amazon prime actually sort of watching this it was uh, you know a good antidote to that just as sort a of, you know mistake of you know, a bit of um dislike for the australians uh obviously yeah so that you know the the they talk a bit about um, yeah the West Indians going to Australia and just the, the, the abhorrent racism that they kind of encountered or you know were met with by supporters and you know uh, and, and I guess you know just the, the players that the Australian players then Lily Thompson and stuff who were sort of roughing them up and and whatnot um, yeah it was as I say a good uh, yeah good balance to the test
2: actually what you're saying there um that's one of the reasons why I was going to say that I I actually found this film very moving as, as I said I have seen it before I, I saw it when it came out and I probably did find it moving at the time but it I didn't I didn't remember it being quite as uh, emotional as I found it this time and it I, it's for a few reasons and, and one of them is what you're talking about there I mean I, I it was genuinely upsetting to hear um, Gordon Greenwich talking about the uh, racist abuse that he suffered in Australia in 1975 he says something like it degraded me you know and 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 a few of them talk about that that feeds into the fact that another reason i found it moving is because you see how significant this team was for west indian people at that time the kind of the joy that and the meaning that cricket brought them at that time and this team as a symbol of the big transformations that were going on in the region and around the world you know it's not that long after the you know after martin luther king the civil rights movement the end of empire migration into into britain all that kind of stuff and the way that perceptions were very slowly being changed in the white world and actually how the success of this team helped to accelerate those changes you know that they did suffer that appalling racist abuse in 1975 1976 i'm not saying that after they you know that after they started winning a few series that suddenly there wasn't any more racist abuse clearly that's not true it still happens today but i you know, you, you see them talking about how, how proud they were to be able to basically prove a point to those people that were giving them that abuse. And it's it's easy to forget, you know, what a different time it was. I mean, 1976 is only 16 years after Frank Worrell became the first black captain of the West Indies before 1960. It had to be a white man. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about
0: now. but It's, it's actually not that long ago. Yeah and and only 10 years before we were born it's not yeah it's it's kind of it's not ancient history either is it it's um I I didn't really appreciate I have to say until watching this quite yeah as you say quite how quite how significant that side of the story was it wasn't I don't know I was trying to think I mean when you look at a what sort of what they achieved complete separate to all of that but actually like I don't know would there ever have been a sports team as driven by injustice kind of in that sense in quite the same way I don't know I can't can't think of many you know when you hear these guys speak the the kind of the journey from as you say like Greenwich talking about that like Michael Holding basically kind of being in tears as a young man on the pitch kind of in in the face of this kind of stuff and I guess you're 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 kind of you know as cricket fans now you know growing up when we did you're sort of used to hearing Michael Holding as a commentator and being a sort of you know a voice of authority and and, and you know speaking for people in the game but you kind of forget that he was obviously a very young man when this was all happening it's, it's an you know, amazingly horrible thing for someone to have to go through I was gonna say he was a teenager on that Australia yeah. tour I think wasn't he yeah um but yeah that that journey from from kind of facing up to, to all of that and, and basically saying rather than you know being kind of defeated by it to say actually you know screw you we're gonna be we're gonna be the best yeah the best there is and and, and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, as I say, I did find it really upsetting to
2: hear Greenwich and Holding talking about those experiences, and it, it made me really angry. Um, and it's, as you say, the, the fact that they were... It's one of the things that made them so driven, and it's it's really satisfying as a viewer to then see them go on and, and dominate in the way that they did. And as you say, the other side of the story is, you know, is that, is just what an amazing cricket team they became. and. You know, I've thought this before, but but watching this documentary again, one of my you know, one of my main thoughts coming away from it was just, my God, I wish I'd seen them live. Yeah. As, as you say, like you, you speaking to your girlfriend's dad. I mean, my older brothers, you know, I've I've grown up hearing my my older brothers talk about them. But they are they were before our time, really. I mean we've we've sort of talked about the post atherton era as starting in around you know, the post-Atherton era being the the, the period of cricket that we've watched like uh you know from our sort of earliest memories of of watching cricket starting in around 1994 and you know that the, the sort of uh the changing of the guard you know the the end of the of the dynasty was was in 1995 when australia beat west Indies. so it really pretty much exactly coincided. our our time watching cricket pretty much exactly coincided with with the end of that west indian team so we didn't see them. And I, it's, you know, from a personal point of view, that's really tragic because, yeah, this film does just bring home what a, what a hell of a team they were. Like, just, I mean, especially those fast bowlers. I mean, it's just, it's terrifying to watch, Who, isn't it?
0: Which of them would you have least liked to face, do you think?
2: That's a really tough question. I, I would have always said uh, either holding or garner possibly Ghana just because yeah of the I thought you'd
0: say God I mean we don't hear so much from him do we in in the documentary um, no. as the others um but yeah I was going I was gonna say I was gonna say actually after watching this possibly
2: Andy Roberts <laughs>
0: yeah uh... I actually wrote I've written some notes and I, I wrote that my first note is how scary is Viv just <laughs> just the way he talks <laughs> yeah and then the second one is Andy Roberts scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: I was going to say Andy Roberts is maybe MVP of the yeah. film. Um, really- there's a, a great line from him uh, that they talk about how you know how batsmen around the world were already scared of him and that he used to hurt people. And then he, he's just like, he's such a cool guy. And he? he's so kind of like, given these interviews, he's just like so laid back, kind of yeah. uh, chilling out in, in, his, in his chair in his house. And he's just like, they're talking about this and then it just cuts to him. And he's like, I didn't go out to try to hit people.
0: It's just that a lot of people got hit. (laughs) Yeah, I jotted that (laughs) down as well. It's genius. It reminded me, having watched um, uh, The Irishman not that long ago, it kind of made me think of that. He was sort of like the sort of Joe Pesci, it's like the kind of ageing kind of gangster who sort of talks. He's like so softly spoken now, but um, yeah, (laughs) he's obviously done a lot of damage in his time.
2: I mean, I I think Michael Holding is maybe the best to watch just because of that action, that kind of liquid Mm. action. It's, you know, must be one of the one of the most sort of aesthetically pleasing bowling actions in history um but yeah possibly Andy Roberts would be uh, be the one I'd least like to face we don't see a huge amount of Malcolm Marshall um but he a lot of people would consider him to be the best a lot of people would consider him to be the best fast bowler of all time um but he sort of he comes in slightly later than he? he comes in around that 83 84 time more in the, the Viv Richards era than the, the, the Viv Richards as captain era than the Clive Lloyd era. But yeah, I mean, just what a what a terrifying prospect because it was the depth of it as well, you know, yeah. the, the number of great fastballs that they had, the, the guys who couldn't even get in the team is crazy.
0: The sequel, you yeah, the, the the bit where, you know, and you do see a few of the deliveries to, to Brighton close in 1976. And it's just, it's actually astonishing to watch. And I know how was, he was about 45 then, wasn't he, Brown Clay? He was, yeah. Uh, it's just like, it's just, I don't know, it's just absolutely <laughs> staggering. It's like watching someone's dad go out to face like the most brutal attack in history. It's just,
2: like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how did anyone allow this? Yeah. You know I mean? Like, how is this legal that someone could go out to face that without a helmet? like you know the idea that helmets were like this kind of uh you know newfangled innovation it's like well obviously you need a helmet (laughs) if you're gonna face that it's mental that was that was one of my uh stray observations that i jotted down was you know i I almost burst out laughing at one point just like thinking about how much cricket has changed like the difference between i don't know one of these sort of, uh, you know, watching, I don't know, Johnny Bairstow or, or some kind of like young, uh, you know, l- live young man go out in IPL, you know, in a T20 or something like that, versus Brian Close, 45 years old, wandering out without a helmet. And a it, he just looks like an old man.
0: Barely, a, barely a hair on the top of his head. I mean, it's like <laughs> extraordinary, um, yeah extraordinarily brave thing to do and like oh yeah it's certainly just the thought of it just sent shivers down my spine and you know you see the the damage that's done to him he's got like he finishes the day i think with about 10 ball shaped bruises on his rib cage it's like horrifying you just think like what i don't know could they have not found anyone else like someone maybe who had like who could have ducked and weaved a bit whereas he just sort of stood there and wore it which is yeah absolutely incredible so incredibly brave, but yeah, but I did just think like, who who allowed this?
2: But so, I mean, yeah, the, the the fast bowlers are obviously the thing that really leaps out from that team. And it's the, the most famous thing about that team. But as you'll remember from when we interviewed uh, Gordon Greenwich and Desmond Haynes in Barbados last year, um, they were very keen to point out, perhaps for, for understandable reasons, sometimes people forget about how good the batting lineup was as well, uh, you know, with the, those two being at the heart of it, but also Viv Richards. I mean, Greenwich Haynes Richards must be one of the best top threes of all time. Uh, but then people like Collis King and Alvin Callantran and Lawrence Rowe, Larry Gomes as well. I mean, it, it, yeah, just one to 11. It's a hell of a team. We're going to do a more kind of thorough, more detailed comparison of them and that Australian team next time. Perhaps even a composite eleven might uh, might be drawn up. Um, it's a very tough call, isn't it? It's a very close run thing. But what I would say will ultimately, you know, we will be the ultimate arbiters of of which team was better. We'll <laughs> give the definitive verdict next time. But what, all I was going to say here is just that in terms of in terms of sparking joy, I think it's a bit of a no brainer. Like I think there's there's surely never been
0: a better team than this one in that regard. Yeah, I think you're probably Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um wh- one thing I, I mean we'll we'll talk about it with next time I guess. Um yeah, w- yeah, one thing that I've been you know got sort of got me thinking after that, you know, we we often talk about or everyone, you know, people in cricket talk about the or compare the teams and players that have come since to to this kind of era of West Indian cricket and it and it is you know, it after watching this and thinking about it a bit more, it's, it it's kind of you think it's a bit more unfair <laughs> perhaps, you, you know, given the, well, the sort of politics of West Indian cricket and the diversity of the islands and, and everything, like it's almost unlikely in any way that in, in some ways compared to other cricketing nations, like in the first instance, that's obviously all a, a barrier to getting a good team together. But just, you know, clearly this was like an, a, a team of exceptional players um, at a time, I guess, when cricket was, you know, in terms of participation, it was probably an exceptional time as well. Yeah. In the West Indies. And then, you you talk about this yeah this kind of exceptional fire that was sort of inside them to to go on and do what they did it's it's almost you sort of it's a, a situation that could almost not be recreated probably um, it's a unique so, moment yeah so it, it is probably pretty harsh to compare and but then actually on the flip side like the West Indies is produced still game changing players in in the same way you know Gail you know obviously Andre Russell Pollard Narine you know players who have who will be remembered as as kind of um, Landmark players in the kind of development of T20, and obviously it's a great shame that the same focus isn't there for West Indian Test cricket still. But yeah, but but yeah, the flip side being that perhaps things aren't quite as bad as you know as as some people make out as well. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I I think that's right, and and also it's it's unfair
2: to compare them to that team because as you say that that team was unique. You know, that was probably more the exception. It, It was a it was a golden generation but as you say, there's still there's still plenty of talent there there's no question about the talent you know there's questions over the administration and the um and you know just globally around the way cricket's going and the economics of cricket which mean that you know for those players it makes a lot more sense for their careers and their financial uh, future to to focus on T20 than than test cricket but, and also things like the pitches in the Caribbean you know just aren't the same as they were in the 70s and 80s they're not as conducive to producing fast bowlers as as they were then so there's lots of reasons for it but yeah it's always been you know it's always been a bit unfair i think in the same way that it's unfair to compare any australian spinner to shane warne even nathan lyon who's very good is not shane warne but it's like well obviously you know it's like it's like mozart yeah. I, I don't know why he's the first name that popped into my head <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's you know can flattering you're kind of, uh, you're, you're run of the mill classical composer. It's just not gonna, not gonna stand up to Mozart. It's a bit unfair to be like, nah, not as good as Viv Richards. Um, and speaking of Viv Richards, like, that's another, you know, another thing about this film that it really does kind of, uh, you know, there's a real sort of lionization of Viv Richards and there's an amazing, uh, song, sung by a man in an extraordinary turquoise suit about Viv Richards and, singing a song with lines like he's remarkable at batting or something like that yeah it was was great I loved it but yeah I mean you've got to say truly one of the very best batsmen of all time as I talked about with you know perhaps the lack of footage and stuff like I would always say that Brian Lara is the best batsman I've ever seen Uh, I would put him ahead of Sachin and Ponting and Smith and you know and anyone else obviously I didn't see Viv Richards uh live and most people who did you know most people who saw both viv and lara would say that viv was better than lara you know viv is still i think celebrated in the caribbean uh perhaps even more than lara Uh, and that might be part of that joy thing again you know he perhaps brought people more joy than lara did you know and it could be to do with the fact that he was part of that team that as we say was sort of uh you know uh, making a statement around the world. That was just the thing that really stood out to me was uh, was how good Vivacious was mm. <laughs> watching this <laughs> Just a couple, just a couple more uh, stray observations before we move on. Um, did you notice Jason Holder at the start? No. You know the the opening shot of the film.
0: Oh uh, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Cool. Is, a,
2: is like a teenager um, running into bowl on a beach or in a field on, yeah. on one of the Caribbean islands. And it's Jason Holder. Yeah, I think it's 17-year-old Jason Holder. And the other thing I was going to say is, uh, well, I just wrote down, Clive Lloyd, what a legend. Yeah. Definitely. And what a look as well.
0: Yeah, just a genius. Um, like, such a cool, a kind of calm presence. But yeah, as you say, just an exceptional look. Uh, you, just, you just couldn't go away with that today, I don't think. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's, yeah. there's a sort of like granddad cheek to it, isn't there? It's like... He sort of definitely looked old before his time. Maybe
2: you know, maybe not for people who saw it at the time, but perhaps for for the likes of us, for our generation, perhaps an underappreciated part of that success. Because you know, you do think of Viv and you think of the fast bowlers, but you know, I think they would say that Clive Lloyd was you know, so integral to that team with the bat as well. He, he ended his career with a, a Test average of 46.7, it's called 1900s. Yeah, an excellent player as well as an excellent captain. So that's Fire in Babylon, Tone. I really enjoyed uh, re-watching this. I'm glad you did too. Definitely. As I kind of uh, alluded to at the beginning of this uh, of this segment, there's so many sports documentaries around at the moment. We've obviously talked about The Test. Have you been watching this Michael Jordan documentary? Yeah, I've watched the first few episodes. I've really been surprised by how much I've enjoyed it because I I couldn't care less, or at least I before watching this
0: I couldn't care less about basketball but it's brilliant yeah it is it's, it's I mean it's fantastically well done isn't it um and again like I yeah I definitely didn't really appreciate Michael Jordan no. at the time or since um and and or basketball really in general and and yeah I agree like you know obviously it's not something we really played at school it's not something that necessarily you know it's kind of dwarfed by other sports obviously in the UK even though it is you know very popular um, but I never really appreciated basketball as a sport until, you know, listeners may not know. There's a thing called the Island Games, which, um, you know, the Channel Islands and other islands around the yeah you know, around the world really go and compete at. It's a multi-sport thing, but basketball is one of the yeah you know, one of the sports there. Uh, and I watched a bit for the first time. It's probably the first kind of live basketball I've really ever watched. I think, um, kind of up close, uh, and it's obviously not not at the same level as uh, as the you know the 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 Bulls of the 90s. Um, but it's, it's 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 a really good standard, and it's a it's a fantastic sport. Actually, it's, it was fantastically exciting, and um, and I'm just so physical. I didn't really appreciate uh, like yeah, kind of how physically kind of charged it is. So yeah, that that that's definitely kind of made me see the sport in a slightly different light. But it's um, yeah, it's it's an awesome awesome documentary. Some fantastic characters in there as well.
2: I agree. It's uh, you know as as I say, I couldn't care less about it. But I've always thought it was quite a good game of of the american sports i've always thought it was by far the, the best game to watch but sort of perhaps underestimated how exciting it could be and as you say i just you know michael jordan just passed me by it's been interesting watching this with my girlfriend who's french because i kind of slightly scoffed a couple of times when people <laughs> said yeah, oh well, you know he's the most famous athlete on the planet you know it, like in the mid-90s well, he's the most famous athlete on the planet and i was like yeah right come on but she was saying, well, yeah, he was like in France. Yeah, that was the case, um, which is interesting. So like for us in England at the time, or, or they, were, yeah, I think there was another bit where they said, well, the Chicago Bulls are the the most famous, the most supported uh, sports team on the planet. And I was like, that is absolutely ridiculous. And she was like, well, who else? And I said, well, Manchester United at the time, definitely. And she was just like, no, I don't think so. Like, not in France at the time. It, you know, it was the Bulls and Michael Jordan was all anyone was talking about. So that was interesting.
0: Yeah, um, that struck me as well. I and mean, the other thing, I mean, it is just like, it kind of highlights the difference in um, just the, the sports culture in America in that, like, they talk, all the people that, that, that speak in the documentary, you know, they're, they're kind of glowing and, like, so excited by the idea of a dynasty. It's like, it's like the Holy Grail, like, you know, what a privilege to be watching a team kind of dominate all our, And obviously we've just been talking about you know, the West Indians dominating cricket, but certainly yeah. from my perspective, like there's only so much kind of domination you can take before you sort of start to just absolutely hate <laughs> hate a team. Um, and that you, you kind of, the, the idea of it, that a team you sort of celebrate a team dominating kind of stuff, even though we've just kind of done that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the way, yeah, I think the West Indian cricket is definitely an exception in that. The, the, I think you can, the neutral can, can enjoy that more than say, you know, if it was Man United dominating football in the, in in England, you know, most other fans, while well, you'd appreciate their ability, in retrospect, like you don't really sort of treasure the dynastic kind of domination.
2: Definitely not. Well, I, 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 I have always hated and continue to hate Man United because they were so dominant when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think the West Indies are an exception because of what we've been talking about, the sort of social and cultural reasons why that team was so significant you know, and the joyfulness with which they played the game and, and that they created and uh, that they sort of uh, sparked in the people watching. But yeah, I agree. Teams that dominate are annoying. Like I still think, just going back to that thing of you know them saying, well, the Bulls are the you know the, the most popular sports team on the planet. Like there's still, you you said this, like there's definitely an insularity about American sport which does rub me up the wrong way a bit. In terms of you know when he retired or you know first retired in 1993, the uh, owner of the Bulls at the press conference is saying, well, Michael Jordan, he's the greatest athlete on a team sport ever. Period. And you think, well and there's a lot of well that is the greatest in the world the best this in the world the best that in the world and you think well that would be a bit like us saying Shane Warne is the best athlete in any team sport ever it's like, <laughs> I suppose the word athlete in that context <laughs> might be uh, yeah. might be inappropriate anyway but you know what I mean it's like well you know you might not be considering some of the other things that you've you know that exist but um, but anyway, it's a fantastic documentary, and I, ju- I just kind of want, uh, I want that. But for you know, cricket teams that I love mm. or uh, football team, you know, I want that, but for Wimbledon in uh, Wimbledon FC in the nineties. If
0: Netflix are listening, I just I mean, uh, what, there's a bit, isn't there, in that um, Fire Festival documentary? Who's the I can't remember what the guy's called. It was a quiz question actually a few weeks ago, wasn't it? It was a quiz question that I got wrong, so I don't know. Bill McFarland or something bucky mcfarland doesn't i don't know um, but i think in that film doesn't he say like he's like oh it doesn't really matter what happens just film everything you know that should really be the mantra for life because even in like 30 years someone could just you know stitch that footage together and tell an amazing story so yeah maybe we should just be filming more that's why i've asked uh, a camera crew to film,
2: <laughs> film backstage of the podcast for the last 10 years <laughs> All right Tone. well, moving on. Uh, actually, just before we talk about um, that, that news I mentioned in the cricketing world, uh, just to catch up on a, a couple of, uh, a couple of bits of correspondence from listeners. people may have heard on our previous episode, uh, amongst other things, we did a kind of full we went full nostalgia and did some reminiscing about uh, a cricket tour of our own to the Isle of Wight, Guernsey under 14s going to the Isle of Wight in 2001 a tool which has lived in infamy uh, for all those involved ever since. Quite a few people got in touch about that, including this email that's come in from a listener by the name of Rob, who says, Hi, Tony and Adam. Long t- I don't know why he's put Tony and Adam. I'm not sure I'm happy about that. <laughs> Hi, Tony and Adam. Uh, hang on, I'll correct it. Hi, Adam and Tony. Long-time listener, sometime tweeter, and first-time emailer here. I'm a huge fan of the show and rarely miss an episode, and I thought I'd get in touch to tell you about a dream I had the night after listening to your most recent episode. I should say that the subject line of this email is next man in, Tony Kerr. <laughs> I dreamt that I was out in the middle on my old school's cricket pitch, batting with Verinda Savag. I was at the non-striker's end and I was trying to warn the great man not to play any rash shots as Tony Kerr was the next man in and his clownish showboating would <laughs> doubtless lead us the game. Unfortunately, Sebag was unable to hear me because he was singing loudly to himself as he batted. I watched on, terrified that the singing Savag would give his wicket away carelessly, bringing Kerr to the crease, and so ending any chance we had of victory. Thankfully, I woke up before Tony got the opportunity to disgrace the team with his antics. I can only hope Savag and I batted on to save the game. Clearly, the latest episode of the show had a profound effect on me. Anyway, keep up the good work. Best wishes. Rob. So there you go, Tony.
0: Wow. it's, It's both hilarious and brutal in equal <laughs> measure I like to think that Rob maybe thinks of me as a sort of curious of cricket kind of you know yeah you know, worldly talented but just you know a bit of a plonker sadly yeah I'm neither that talented nor yeah well you're you're not that talented but you are a bit of a plonker well, at least one one side of it holds up no um the thought of any pair of batsmen at the crease thinking that Tony <laughs> Kerr's the next man in uh you know that's enough to to keep you there and yeah. Do it yourself.
2: Shivers down the spine. Yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? This is a thing uh, that people are dreaming a lot, having really intense and weird dreams during lockdown. I'm dreaming all the time. I don't I don't know about you. You, you look confused like you're not one of these people, but it is no, a, there, was a, had, there was a BBC News article about it the other day. I don't know. I've had a few dreams, but no, no more than... I'm just dreaming constantly. But it made me laugh the other day when our friend James was talking about uh, a nightmare that he had, which is something that I have... Like too often, where I dream that I'm at school and I've got an exam tomorrow or this morning and I've not revised for it, or it's a subject that I didn't even know I was taking. But you really made me laugh Tone, saying uh, that you have you have a dream like that at the moment, and then you wake up and go, oh, phew, it's just a pandemic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did have a couple of uh, stress dreams the other night actually, and I going to mention it. There was a BBC News article about it. Apparently,
2: it's because people aren't getting enough stimulation during the day. So their brains are going crazy at night.
0: True of true of Rob, who had to endure the last podcast then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Understimulated. He wasn't the only one to get in touch about that. That Isle of Wight story seemed to seem to elicit quite a big reaction from listeners. Some people sympathizing. I think I think sympathizing, not necessarily empathizing. I think for a lot of people it's perhaps hard to imagine being pitying. that bad at cricket. Yeah. yeah, pitying, exactly. I was thinking about this. I don't think we ever won a game. Can you remember ever winning a game? I don't remember a game we won. I, I, that's not an exaggeration. I genuinely don't think we ever won a game. It was like that was just what you expected to happen. Oh, we're, who are we losing to today? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, so we we probably talked about this, but yeah, latterly we um, we played together, didn't we, for the school second eleven team? That was kind of a few years after the the debacle of the Isle of Wight, and we kind of we kind of dusted ourselves off a bit. But yeah, we had to sort of drop down to second eleven level, level to, to get a game at that point. Um but yeah, we actually beat the our equivalent school in Jersey both years and I was captain, which was a remarkable you know, <laughs> given the given the, the the last review from Rob there about uh his interpretation of my cricket, you know. I'd love to have known the discussion or the thought process behind making me captain. I think we all, the rest of us all had that conversation at the time. You know. uh, but we actually won both those games. And it was actually, I, I do remember thinking like, I'm, like being on top in a match and actually not knowing really what to do. <laughs> yeah. We also had a tweet come in from a
2: listener by the name of Julian uh, after that show went out saying, wonderful podcast, guys. Really laughed at your Isle of Wight reminiscences. Perhaps by way of balance on the next pod, you could talk about your finest moments on the cricket field. Which is a good idea, Tane. So uh, I think starting now, let's go through all the good moments we had on the cricket field. All right, Tane. Well, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that we had some actual cricket news to discuss today. It was announced this week that England players are returning to training uh, ahead of a planned restart of international action with the Test Series against West Indies. Uh, being delayed but now expected to go ahead in july i'm just going to quickly uh, run through this article from crick info just to put us all on the same page England set to resume training as ecb laid groundwork for windy's tests england's men's players will move one step closer to return to international cricket next week when they resume training in controlled environments at a range of venues across the country the announcement comes in the wake of official government advice published on wednesday which sets out the safety protocols and social distancing measures necessary to safeguard the players and staff during the COVID-19 outbreak. And with a possible seven weeks to go until the delayed first test against West Indies is earmarked to get underway behind closed doors, a squad of 30 players, with a Red Bull focus at this stage, will begin to assemble at seven venues across the country from Wednesday onwards to resume individual skills-based training programmes. The move is intended to mitigate the potential for injury for England's players who have not set foot on a cricket field since the abandonment of the Sri Lanka tour midway through their first warm-up match in Colombo on March 12th. The players' initial focus will be on individual field-based skills, with full net sessions deferred for a further two weeks until the bowlers have reached their desired workload after having their fitness regimes interrupted by two months in lockdown. So uh, so yeah, it goes on from there, tone, but yeah, basically that's, that's the gist of it. They are going back to training, and the plan is to get that test series uh, going ahead in July. I thought I'd throw this to you uh, as a, as a qualified epidemiologist You know, <laughs> seems the right place to go, but no, just, you know, what do you think? Tim? Do you, do you, do you see this happening? Do you think it's is a good idea?
0: Uh, I, I don't know. To be honest. <laughs> uh, it's we really say, we hard.
2: I joke, I joke about that, about being qualified epidemi- epidemiologist, but we, you know, I suppose we do have to caveat it with just saying, you know, we, we don't not. know what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> we yeah. Um, so, and you do just have to leave it to the people who do know what they're talking about. But with that being said, what do you? think? I mean,
0: with the whole sport thing in general, I do like I can I do sympathise with both kind of extremes of the argument. Like you know, I, I understand why people think it's sort of it should just be forgotten about for now. Um, but I also understand the people who are like, oh, yeah, it has, sport has to come back as soon as possible. You know, it's clearly a lot of people's jobs depend on it. I, you know, the, the idea that it's kind of you know. It's, it'll improve the national psyche I think is maybe like slightly spurious although it certainly would for some people but um why do you think that's spurious no I don't I just well, no. I partly because I think it won't be the won't be the product that people perhaps think it will be you know look at the Bundesliga that came back this weekend with no one in the stadium I mean I've seen a few clips I didn't actually watch any of the games but from what I've seen most of the feedback has been like yeah it's it's something to talk about, but not necessarily, you know, it's nowhere near, it's not going to generate the same kind of, I guess, I'm not speaking about German football fans, perhaps they might have a different opinion, but certainly, you know, the sort of British, or British sports people I've seen, you know, talking about it have said like, oh, you know, it's 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 a pretty um, poor imitation of the, of the real thing and, you know, has it sort of changed the opinion on whether we should rush back the Premier League? When it comes to cricket, I think it's slightly different. I don't know. I think, that just the nature of the sport, the nature of crowds for the sport. Like I do think, I think they could probably get them back a bit sooner. Well, I mentioned this last time when we were talking about that
2: um, India-Australia series, and you know the fact there were 100,000 people in Kolkata in 2001 for that Test, and how important that was, and you know what an important element of great Test matches and great cricketing action and great sporting action the crowds are, and it's sometimes forgotten, and that that should be a consideration. But then, I mean, I, I, I still you know i would still stand by that but on the other hand i suppose test cricket you know has some experience of of you know being played out in front of empty stands like it's always a bit weird in the uae say when you know when pakistan have played england or anyone else in the uae and there's basically no one there it's like it's a slightly strange atmosphere and it's not what you want but it has happened and you know and and i've watched it and it's like taken some of the Shine off it, but it's uh, you know it's still been it's still been watchable, and it, it's not quite the same as football in that sense, I don't think. Yeah, on the sort of national psyche point, I I do I do take that point, but but I suppose it, it just depends how long this goes on. Mm. You know, people will manage without football for the next few months. They'll manage without cricket this summer, but you know if it's going to run a lot longer than that, I think sport will leave a big hole if they can't get it on in some form.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. I don't, I don't think you can be too sort of harsh on anyone's viewpoints in this situation. Can you? Cause no, no, no one in our, for most people, no one's lived through a situation like this. I mean, when you look at, like it has only still been eight, nine weeks. Um, and while that is a long time, obviously, you know, when you compare it to the second world war and I know like not everything should be compared to that, that was obviously, you know, many times longer. It will recover, whatever however long that it's out of action or it's it's you know it's not going on. But that said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the situation is improving enough to suggest that actually that it's fine and we should crack on. I don't know. Yeah, well that well I'll come to that in a sec. But just one more
2: thing on the sort of on the on the morale issue, like the the idea that getting support back on will boost the nation's morale. Um, again, like yeah, it has as you say it has only been eight nine weeks, which is actually you know, we haven't really missed that much cricket yet. We've, we've obviously missed England series in Sri Lanka. That didn't happen. And the IPL hasn't happened. Personally, I don't really watch that. So I, I like I don't feel like I really missed that much cricket or, or I shouldn't feel like that. Um, Cause it has only been eight, nine weeks or, so, you know, that's not much different to like the, the off season in the premier league is it? So it's, it's not that long a time. If it ends up being six months or a year Or more, then I think people will start to notice it a lot more. Um, But the other point, as well, is that in terms of boosting the nation's morale, like to some extent, there have been other things that have done that. Like, you know, for us here in Guernsey, Tone, like, you know, the, the weather's been great and we've been allowed to go outside. And, you know, there are reasons why we might not necessarily have been watching that much sport at home on the TV anyway. But if this rolls on into next winter and we're all just kind of shut up indoors with not much to do, do you know what I mean? Like the, Yeah, the, that's,
0: a, that's a fair point. The,
2: then, then we might be like, well, I really would love to watch some football right now or some cricket. So I think it could yet come to play quite an important role, you know, in terms of morale. Um, but that being said, uh, as I say, I, you know, it is important to say that um, that, that we are not really qualified to talk about it from a sort of uh, you know scientific point of view, but with that sort of well caveated, I, I have to say I have my doubts about this plan because I, I think there are issues for the players, you know, and the, you know, how players might feel about their health and safety and in, in the you know in going back out to play cricket at the moment. You know, obviously no one's going to force them to play, but they are going to feel under pressure to play if it's going ahead. You know, players who might sort of potentially lose their place in the england team if they if they choose not to play uh, for some time now of course this is true of employees across all sorts of industries that people perhaps might feel under pressure to go back to work you know in a way that they feel might compromise their health and, and the health of others but you know still i think that's that should be a consideration and that's true not just of the england players but of course you know, perhaps even more importantly of, of the west indies players and maybe later in the of the pakistan players you know is it is it fair to expect them to travel to England at the moment, given the mm. the relative states of the of the epidemics in the two countries or the two regions? So much of this is unknowable. Like it, it just it hugely depends on what happens with the virus in England over the next weeks and months. You know, if there if there is a second wave now that the lockdown's been eased, you know, presumably this won't happen if it continues to go in the right direction, if the numbers continue to go in the right direction, then perhaps it can. Um but my the the big thing for me is that I think you know even if even if the numbers do continue to move generally in the right direction, all these plans to get cricket back on, to get football back on, to get all sport back on, you know they all assume they all depend on things going smoothly. You know they're sort of they're talking about isolating the players, social distancing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, what happens if one of the players tests positive for the virus? You know a few days before the game, then what? I don't know, it just, and that doesn't seem that unlikely necessarily. So, as I say, there's yeah. just so there's so many unknowns and unknowables and uncontrollables. I understand why, and in some ways, sort of admire the fact that they're trying to get it get the show back on the road. But you know, just from a sort of fans' point of view, I just don't think we should necessarily get our hopes up that it is going to happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point to yeah to kind of temper expectations of it. Um, I agree. I think what would the what would cricket administrators be doing if they weren't planning or any sports administrations if they weren't planning or working out a way that they could get it on even if it might not kind of work out that way you know they've got to have they've got to be doing something so that may as well be that i i I think you're right in essence kind of morally given that you know we're allowed and i know there's different definitions of what's essential and what's not but i don't know in, in england at the moment what you you know pub gardens are open um, or outdoor restaurants are open um the environment the cricket environment is it any more risky than than that Probably not in terms of spreading the virus um but as you say it 's obviously a very different work environment to you go to the supermarket and you get you 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 pick up the virus and you test positive and they contact trace or whatever and you just work from home or whatever or you self isolate or something that obviously as you say that 's just not feasible for for two sports teams going to be playing a match it's just yeah it, it, it's it's so easily derailed isn't it
2: yeah it's a, it's a very sort of fragile situation you know I do hope that it can happen just from a you know kind of selfish personal point yeah it would be I would enjoy watching cricket um this summer but uh yeah I just think it's I think there's there's reasons to not be too optimistic yet all right, Tone. Uh, well, I think that's probably as good a place as any to uh, to draw a, a line under things for this week. We, we talked about going for a run. I need to go for a run with you at some point.
0: Yeah. When should we do that?
2: Tomorrow? Yeah. Sounds we're good. Allowed, we're now allowed to exercise together with people from outside our household. So um, to be honest, I feel like I've seen too much of you this weekend. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd done this and then did see you on the, uh, on the Zoom quiz. Last night, I mentioned at the top of the show, I teased at the top of the show that I wanted to talk about yeah, was when it was your turn to host the quiz. Uh, when was it? Last week or week before? I can honestly say, Tone, I've never seen anything like... It. Wow. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll leave it, I'll leave it up to you. No, it was uh, It was a memorable quiz. It was definitely a memorable. <laughs> quiz. It started, what, 10 or 15 minutes late? You were quite happy because last night we started like half an hour late because our friend Nick was even later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were like, oh, this is good. This is kind of takes the heat off me, but... But it became clear quite quickly um, that you needed those extra 15 minutes to finish writing the questions, yeah. which you hadn't done.
0: Real uh, yeah, real echoes of my school days there, um, sort of doing <laughs> homework in the class kind of before it's handed in. But then trying to sort of give off the impression that that isn't what had exactly.
2: happened. Exactly, trying to play it cool. That's <laughs> <I'm not> going, <laughs> have you just written the question? So, no, no, no. But you had like various, you had them all <laughs> scribbled on various scraps of paper. I've never seen anyone look more flustered than you did in those first couple of rounds as you were trying to find the right bit of paper. It was stressful. You were so stressed. that I think at one point, your girlfriend, Emily, who's, you know, who had the, the thankless task of trying to mark the answers you know, when you hadn't actually numbered the questions. They were just on bits of paper floating around. You had to work out which answer belonged where. Um, but yeah, at one point, she, she said something to you like, oh, what's the answer to this one? And you, you said, and it made me burst out laughing, no, I th- I, th- I read the question, but I haven't written it down. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, stress was really getting to you at that point.
0: Yeah, I was. I was it was yeah, it was tough. It was very tough. It, I mean, I like to think it was more of a sort of just avant-garde approach to quizzing. You know, everything. It's all got very formulaic during the lockdown. It's all a bit predictable, a bit safe. You know, let's just let's mix it up a bit. Let's not have numbers next to the questions. <laughs> Postmodern modern quizzing don't write any questions <laughs>
2: just out of the blue guy which country produces the most olives <laughs> which was one of your questions yeah it was like uh, i know you're not a big fan of gavin and stacy but there's an episode of that where smithy uh smithy hosts a pub quiz he's just there like with his hand in his head in his hands going who invented the plug
0: <laughs> yeah that's it that literally was it <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, in the end, to be fair to you, it was actually quite a good quiz. That was good. Um, it, it just got off to a bit of a
0: rocky start. I've pulled it around. We, had I had a bit more time to plan it, you know, not a full week, maybe two or three weeks, I would have uh, still at the same time. But I might have used deployed the rounds in a slightly different order. But it was definitely one of those things, wasn't it, where you, uh, you wrote like
2: one or two questions on Thursday? Oh, yeah, exactly that. And you were
0: like, I am brilliant.
2: I am <laughs> yeah, so far ahead like... of
0: the game here. Just popping <laughs> champagne, just be like this, you know, smashed it. Then you, know, then you put your notebook
2: down, tied your elastic band around it, and uh, didn't give it another thought <laughs> until 8.25 uh, on, the, on the Saturday evening and realised you had to write another 48 questions. Well, you pulled it out of the bag in the end time. Yeah, we got there. Just a shame you came dead last in the quiz last night.
0: Who, uh, so who's doing the quiz
2: next week? Uh, Dim and Megan. Okay, cool. They came second last. The thing being that if you come last in the quiz you you have to do you have to do the following week's quiz. It can't be you because you've already done it, but you know, my problem, Tony, I would actually really like to host a quiz, but I just I just never gonna come last, am I? Oh,
0: well, might try I'll I i will volunteer to do it the week after the next and I'll create a quiz tailor made that you won't be able to answer. What what would you put in that <laughs> what quiz? Sort of subject? I don't know. It'd be like, you know, cuts of beef, maybe craft beers cuts of beef and like yeah if there was any practical element to it that's where i might fall down
2: if 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 part of the quiz was to like put together some <laughs> flat pack furniture yeah. um then i'd i'd start thinking about the following week's quiz already. <laughs> three
0: rounds of cdt
2: anyway uh, i think we should probably leave it there Tane. um we'll we'll be back soon uh to talk more cricket more nostalgia probably uh, between now and then if you enjoy the world cricket show there are various ways you can get more involved you can send us an email uh, like our good friend rob did world show at gmail.com you can follow us on social media and if you enjoy the show um, then do tell people about it uh, by writing a review on apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use because that does uh, really help to bring new people to the show uh, but yeah that's it stay in school uh, just to say that uh, you know if you, whoever's listening to this I hope everybody is safe and well uh, and holding up okay in lockdown and we will be back soon right, looking forward to the next one alright cheers mate take it easy Stay safe. bye for now it to us it to us
0: each day is here smell Ba ba la